Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. It's the central theme for many of mankind's greatest artists, poets, composers, and writers. Yet, for many people, it remains largely unknown or mysterious. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at love as he continues his series, A Life Beyond Amazing. Discover why love is at the very heart of the life God wants for his children. To introduce today's message, A Life of Love, here's David. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being a part of Turning Point and our listening family. If you missed a couple of days, we are in a brand new series that started at the beginning of the month called A Life Beyond Amazing. It's built upon uh, the, the traits of the spiritual life we call the fruit of the Spirit. Each chapter tells us a little bit more about one of the clusters of fruit that are in that beautiful vine we find in the New Testament. Today is part one of A Life of Love, and we'll get to it in just a moment. I hope you haven't made all your year-end plans, because I'd like to suggest one. I'd like to suggest a plan for you to come with us to the Caribbean, and I hope that you will seriously consider that. It's a tremendous trip. We leave uh, right after Christmas and come back after the New Year. We spend the New Year together aboard a beautiful cruise ship. We have wonderful meetings, uh, great devotional thoughts in the morning and major teaching sessions at night, all kinds of special things happening. And uh, I hope that you will come with us. You just need to make the reservation. First of all, go to our website and get all the details and then... uh, Come and join us as we go to the Caribbean together at the end of 22 and the beginning of 23. All right, here is A Life of Love. Country superstar Alan Jackson made a fortune singing love songs with words like this. When somebody loves you, there's nothing you can't do. When somebody loves you, it's easy to get through. That sentiment may not be absolutely true, but it's a whole lot better than the old country classic that goes like this. I went back to my fourth wife for the third time and gave her a second chance to make a first-class fool out of me. (laughs) That actually is a song. I got to tell you that after a lifetime of ministry, I've observed that the whole idea of love makes fools out of a lot of people. And we're obsessed with it, whether we know it or not. Whenever we turn on the radio or television, we're bombarded with love. Everyone defines love their own way. It's all a matter of one's opinion. Some think love is self-sacrificing philanthropy. Others believe it's hormones and romance. But I don't understand, I don't know about you, how one four-letter word can mean so many things to so many people. For instance, we talk about loving God, loving football, loving pizza, receiving love, giving love, making love. At church, we sing about the love of God that's greater than tongue or pen can ever tell. We turn on the radio and we hear songs that describe a selfish and self-centered love. There are even some modern psychologists who tell us that the concept of love is worthless to discuss because it's human emotion and a mere chemical expression from the brain and nobody has any control over it. 
Well, all of that to say, when you talk about love, you are talking about something that people write, talk, and sing about so much. And I believe that one of the reasons that's true is because there's a hole in the human heart. And we need reassurance and affection and fellowship. Love is the oxygen of the soul, and we have to have it. The first thing that an infant needs at birth is to be held and hugged by a loving parent. And the presence of love brings a lifetime of blessing. You should not be surprised to learn that the Bible has a lot to say about love. In the New International Version of the Scripture, the word love occurs 744 times. Christians ought to be just as obsessed with God's brand of love as the world has become obsessed with society's concept of love. Because from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, the story of the Bible is the story of God's unconditional and unrelentless love for mankind. And that's why as we begin to talk about a life beyond amazing, we start at the top of the list. Because love is at the top of every list. Without that, you have nothing. And it's worthless to talk about the rest of the list if you don't talk about the one that is at the top of the list. This love that appears at the top of almost every list in the Bible is not just God's love for us, as important as that is. It's also our love for one another. And when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is the outline for this message, you know that love is at the top of the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Christopher Wright, in his book on the fruit of the Spirit, puts it this way. He says, the first fruit of the Spirit is not so much our love for God, but our love for one another as Christians across all of our differences and barriers. And Paul is talking about not just sentimental feelings of being nice, but real practical proof that we love and accept one another in down-to-earth caring and providing and helping and encouraging and supporting one another even when it costs a lot or hurts a lot to do it. Love in action, love that dissolves division, love that brings together people who would otherwise hate, hurt, and want to even kill one another. That's the kind of love God talks about and the kind of love he wants us to have for each other. When we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the very love of God is poured into our hearts. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that he pours his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And that love grows within us just like grapes grow on a vine. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this love isn't just a sensation. It's not just a warm feeling around here in your body. This love wears work gloves and handles the everyday nuts and bolts of life. It's very practical. It hugs the lonely. It feeds the hungry. It tends the sick. It comforts the sorrowful. And it puts up with the insufferable. It's kind and long-suffering. It's pure and perceptive and positive in its outlook. It is truly one of the foundations of a life beyond amazing. And here's the interesting thing about it, folks. Until Jesus came to this earth, nobody ever had experienced that kind of love. This kind of love was unknown. This new kind of love, which became known as agape, that's a Greek word for love, but it was a new word coined to describe the kind of love Jesus brought to this earth. 
The world's concept of love before that was very self-centered. It was love that demanded something in return. It was love for what you could get out of love. But when God sent his son as a love gift to this world, his special other-centered love was put on display in Jesus Christ for all of us to watch. And they call that love agape. That's the word in John 3.16. For God so agape the world. At the heart of agape is sacrifice. It is not the spontaneous, impulsive love that we see pictured in our movies and on television. It is the reasoning, esteeming, and choosing kind of love. Uh, The love that the world knows is called eros love. It's the word from which we get the word erotic. It dominated the pagan cultures of Jesus' day. And then Jesus came, and unconditional love was almost unheard of because agape love is the highest form of love, the love everyone wants to receive, but so very few seem ready to give because there's a sacrifice involved in that kind of love. One of the best definitions of agape love that I ever read goes something like this. It says, agape love is the power that moves us to respond to someone's needs with no expectation in return. We love people with agape love and we don't sit around wondering if they're gonna say thank you. We don't sit around wondering if they're gonna return the grace. In 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle Paul penned the greatest description of love in all of world literature. His words are precise and focused and very practical and nothing says love better than 1 Corinthians 13. And no one who wants to know how to love better should ever omit that from their daily devotional reading. Anyone who wants to know how to love better should read 1 Corinthians 13. The Christian's thought of love is the quality that we see displayed at the cross. What Jesus did when he hung on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, that's love. That's love lavished upon others without a thought of whether they're worthy or not. So in this particular moment, in this series of A Life Beyond Amazing, we'll not be talking so much about God's love for us, but as important as that is, we'll see it as the backdrop for our love for each other. Here's a great scripture to help us keep focused on our task today. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I want you to read it out loud with me. Can we do that together? Here we go. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So here we have this teaching from the Scripture that as God has loved us, We are to love one another. Now, let me tell you something that will surprise some of you. Love is not an option. Love is a command. The command of love is everywhere on display in the New Testament. And I find many believers are quite shocked at this because they've bought into the idea that you can't command love. Love is something that's going to kind of overtake you. We talk about it this way. We fell in love. Like you're walking down the street and you fall into it, you know. Like something happens to you, you didn't have anything to do with it, you don't know anything about it. What happened to you? Oh, I just fell in love. 
Well, the Bible tells us that we are responsible to love one another. Now, I'm going to read these scriptures, and I want you to notice how often the word command or commandment shows up. The command to love. Here's what the scripture says. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command that you love one another. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of God and love one another just as he gave us commandment. Now here's the question that you and I have to answer. Is it possible for us to obey that commandment? Can love be commanded? Can we love each other as he has loved us? And based on the evidence that you observed today, you would have to see that most people have taken that option off the table. No, love is not something they take as a responsibility, but something they get to do if it so happens to be right for them. I hear guys all the time earlier when I was doing a lot more counseling than I do now, guys would say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I just got to tell you, I don't love her anymore. Like, they have an option not to love her anymore. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. What part of that don't we get? Well, what if I don't feel like it? That has anything to do with it. Love her anyway. Because love isn't a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a response. Love is a verb. Love is what we do more than what we feel. The feelings come after the action. In the New Testament book of Revelation, when the Ephesian church had lost its first love, what is it that God told them to do? Go back and do the first works. He didn't say go back and sit around and see if the feeling comes back. He said go back and do the first works. In fact, in the New Testament scriptures, listen to this, we are commanded 55 different times to love. And all of these commands are given to us in different contexts, in different settings. They affect us as parents. They affect us as children. They affect us as individuals. These commands affect us as members of the local church. Even the New Testament holds out for us what seems to be impossible, that we should love our enemies. And Jesus Christ apparently thought that was important enough to leave us with a vivid illustration as he hung on the cross and forgave the people that put him there. Of those 55 commands to love, 21 of them are commands for us to love one another. God commands the impossible, and then he gives us his ability to accomplish this love. So how do we cultivate this love in our lives? How do we cultivate this command? As with all the character traits we are studying in this series, let me tell you, we are responsible for developing God's gift to us of love. Remember now, God pours out his love to us when we're saved. He gives us this deposit of love. But he doesn't give that to us just so that it can sit there and not be responded to by us. We're to take that love and take it to the next level we are to say, this is God's gift to me, and I'm going to take this and give a gift back to him out of what he's given to me. Paul summarized the words of 1 Corinthians 13 in this statement at the end of the love chapter. You know it well. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now that seems like that's the end of the discussion of love. 
But unfortunately, there is a chapter division between 13 and 14, which I think shouldn't be there. It's arbitrary. By the way, the chapter divisions in the Bible are not inspired. They were put there by people who wanted to make the Bible easier for us to read. So, you hear the summary statement of what love is at the end of chapter 13. Do you know what the first verse of chapter 14 says? It says, pursue love. (laughs) Here is what love looks like. The love that God has given to you. Accept it, rejoice in it, be thankful for it. Now, pursue it. In other words, take control of your own life and begin to ask God to help you learn how to love better. That's what I want in my life. And here we have this prime example of that seeming paradox that stands at the center of all of these traits. The fruit is always a gift, but it is still something that requires hard work on our behalf. So that brings us to how we do this. How do I become a more loving person? I've been commanded to love. I'll be honest with you, Pastor. I hear people say this. I just wasn't born with much love. I'm just not a loving person. Like, once you say that, you're off the hook. No, you just admitted where you are, but you're really on the hook now. Nobody has a right to say, well, I know we're supposed to do this, but I just wasn't born that way. I know some of you weren't born with a loving attitude, but that doesn't mean you aren't responsible to love. So since love is both a gift and a task, here's the question that challenges us in every one of these discussions. How can we become more loving people? I'm a Christian. I know God. I know that he poured his love into my heart. I'm confident that God loves me. John 3.16 is something I know well. But do you know 1 John 3.16? We all know John 3.16. Do you know what 1 John 3.16 looks like? The 3.16s are kind of there for us to remember. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's 1 John 3.16. And 1 John 4.11 and 12 is similar because if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So let me just lay this principle out so that we can all grab hold of it. One of the ways you learn how to love one another is by learning how much God loved you in the first place. Because if we're supposed to love one another as God has loved us, then we need to learn more about how God has loved us so that we can pattern that in our love for one another. Because God loved us, we are to love one another. October 22nd, 2007, the first Medal of Honor was awarded for combat in Afghanistan. It was presented to the family of Lieutenant Michael Murphy, a Navy SEAL who gave his life to make a radio call for help for his team. Murphy and three other SEALs were sent on a mission in June of 2005 into the rugged 10,000-foot Afghan mountains, searching for a known terrorist, and they apparently were spotted by local tribesmen who reported them to the Taliban. And Murphy's team was trapped by 50 enemy troops who surrounded them on three sides, forced them into a ravine, and all four men began to sustain wounds and were out of ammunition. We were hurting, said the team's sole survivor, Petty Officer 2nd Class Marcus Luttrell. We were out of ammo, and it was bad. It was real bad. But Murphy moved from man to man to keep his team together, though he had to expose himself to enemy fire to do it. 
Then because the mountainous terrain blocked communications, he had to move into the open area and call for help. Despite incoming fire, he calmly provided his unit's location and information about opposing force. While making the call, he took two rounds in the back and dropped the handset. But he managed to retrieve it and complete the call, even telling the person at the other end, thank you, while he was in this wounded condition. His dad, speaking to reporters after his son had been killed in action, said, here is a man who'd been shot in the stomach. He'd been fighting with this wound. Then he gets shot in the back, and then he still has the presence of mind to say thank you. Petty Officer Luttrell survived the firestorm because he was blasted over the ridge by a rocket-propelled grenade, knocked unconscious, and rescued by local villagers who refused to turn him over to the Taliban. He was later transported to a Marine outpost, and he owed his life to Lieutenant Murphy. I can't imagine the love, respect, and gratitude that he feels today for his fallen companion. To know that a buddy willingly and without hesitation exposed himself to enemy fire to save him, that must be a lifetime, lifelong appreciation. Not many of us will ever see that kind of courage or love in our own personal lives because it doesn't happen that often. The me generation has turned into it's all about me generation. And if we're not careful, even in our churches, we become consumer centers where everyone wants his or her own style of worship or set of programs. But the Bible says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says he gave his life for us, even as the winner of the Medal of Honor gave his life for his friends. There's only one symbol that I think is greater than the Medal of Honor, and that's the cross of Calvary. And I think it would help us if we used our imagination once in a while just to consider how similar our plight was to that of Murphy's team, trapped by the enemy, outnumbered, wounded, and hopeless, and yet one man stood up and stretched out his arms and saved us. There's something about that picture that moves us And I think it's no accident that Jesus died with outstretched arms. It was his way of embracing the whole world and reaching out for you and me. Several years back, Don and I went to London, and I wanted to go and visit some of the churches because I've always been interested in the architecture of Christopher Wren. Christopher Wren was the designer of many of the cathedrals in Europe and especially in London. We kind of finished up our little tour in St. Paul's Cathedral, and I saw a statue in the annex that I've never forgotten. It was a huge portrayal of Jesus Christ twisting in anguish on the cross, intense pain on his face, and blood dripping down his body, and underneath was a plaque that read, This is how God loved the world. He loved the world through his sacrificial death for us. Now, we have to take that information and import it into our relationships with each other because that's what the Bible says. Because he has loved us in such a way, we are called to love others that way. So one of the ways we learn how to love one another is by learning to appreciate God's love for us more, seeing all of the self-sacrificing part of that relationship and then realizing God has given us that love and he's stored it in a reservoir around our heart and it's out of that reservoir of God's love to us that we love other people. As God has loved us, now we 
can love others. So the first thing we should do if we're trying to become more loving people, which all of us should have as a certain part of our agenda, is we should understand the importance of God's love for us because that's the model that God has given us for our love for others. Well, thank you for joining us. That is a marvelous presentation of the love of God. A greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. God gave him to do that so that we could have everlasting life. Tomorrow we will finish up this message on a life of love as we come to the Friday edition of Turning Point. I hope you'll join us then and finish out the week with us together. Before we say our final goodbye today, I hope you will uh, send a gift to help us with what we're doing on the radio around the world. And when you send that gift, be sure to ask for your copy of Why the Nativity, a newly designed edition of a book that asks 25 questions about Christmas and answers them. It's the basis for a film called Why the Nativity. It's to be released in just a few days. And... uh, As you open the book to the center part of it, you'll find some beautiful photos of the cast on set as this movie was being produced. The cover of the book features a couple of pictures as well. We'd love for you to have this. It's a beautiful presentation, and it's yours for the asking when you send a gift today to Turning Point. I hope you'll do it, and I hope you'll be sure and join us tomorrow for part two of A Life of Love. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, A Life Beyond Amazing, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Fill your Christmas with meaning and joy by asking for your copy of David's book and new docudrama DVD, why the nativity sure to become a christmas classic each is available for your gift of any amount you can also purchase the jeremiah study bible in the english standard new international and new king james versions available in your choice of cover options get the details when you visit our website davidjeremiah.ca slash radio this is david michael jeremiah join us tomorrow as we continue the series a life beyond amazing here on turning point with dr david jeremiah Looking to celebrate the holiday season in a meaningful way? Consider revisiting the story of the first Christmas. In the newest edition of his book called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah looks in close detail at the people and events surrounding that special day. The book and brand new docudrama are yours when you support Turning Point this month with a gift of $60 or more. If you give $100 or more, you'll also receive the correlating CD album and study guide. Donate today at davidjeremiah.ca. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. 
That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. A young boy named Grover had a neighbor whose chicken would fly over the fence and lay an egg in Grover's family's backyard. And every day, Grover would collect the egg and return it to his neighbor. That kind of honesty in such a small matter stood Grover in good stead later in life when weightier matters confronted him. You see, Grover Cleveland went on to become the 24th President of the United States. In one of his parables, Jesus told about two men who were given responsibility in great things because they had been faithful in little things. It's a kingdom principle still in effect today. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons for honesty on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.